Welcome, everybody, to the Always Hope Podcast, a production of Willwood's Faith and Marriage. I'm your host, Dr. Mario Sacasa, and truly grateful to have another amazing episode for you today. Well, why are stories a hallmark of our human experience? We spend hours talking and recounting tales with our family and friends. We read fiction and short stories. We watch movies and binge watch Netflix. Why is story important to cultivating a healthy life? Joining me on the show today to talk about the importance of story is Jordan Haddad, Associate Professor of Dogmatic Theology at Notre Dame Seminary in New Orleans, Louisiana. In today's episode, we discuss the importance of surrounding ourselves with good story, how to cultivate a uniquely Catholic imagination, and how to safeguard ourselves against narratives that move us away from God. We end the show by talking about certain Disney films and how to engage in conversation about movies with our kids. After the show is done, please leave a rating or write a review on Apple Podcasts. I cannot tell you how grateful I am for every single one of those. It is an encouragement to me to continue to do the show because I'm so grateful to know that it is helping you, the listener. So God bless everybody and enjoy this episode with Jordan Haddad. Well, soon to be Dr. Jordan Haddad. How are you doing? Welcome to the Always Hope Podcast. Doing great. Glad to be here, Dr. Mario. <laughs> super, super, super awesome, man. Excited to have you. So, well, how's the dissertation process going for you? <laughs> Slowly, <laughs> but, uh, but progress is being made. Um, quarantine and, and coronatide has, <laughs> has thrown a, a bit of a wrench into everything. But um, you know, writing the dissertation is, you know, it's more about perseverance than anything else and just refusing to, to submit and to, and to go quietly into that, that gentle night. Yeah, (laughs) that's exactly right. I mean, I think a lot of people think of it as, as it just being this test of your intelligence and it's, it's really not, it's really a test of your, like you said, your capacity to, to persevere and to organize, I think really massive amounts of information in, in a coherent document. I think that's, that's really the exercise of the dissertation. And so that focus, that tenacity, that dedication, that perseverance is really, is really the virtues that you cultivate, not, not how smart you are. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining me on the show. I know you and I, we've had many conversations uh, off air about movies. And I think last year I put out some stuff about Endgame that we had a nice conversation about. And then just recently you put some some, some, you're stirring the pot a little bit, making some insults about episode one, but that's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll let that slide, uh, which led me to really be like, man, let's, let's have a conversation just about story and uh, the importance of having story in our lives. Um, we're obviously media driven. We are uh, consumers of, of entertainment. And, but there are certainly stories, movies, uh, books, narratives that have risen to the top of our culture. Um, and I guess the question really that I want to kind of begin with is, is like, what is the importance of that? I mean, like what, like, what does that communicate? Say, what does it say about us as people? Um, but what is just the value of surrounding ourselves with, with good story? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think whether most of us realize this or not, um, we all live our lives um, not only appreciating and, and being drawn to different stories and different narratives, but we even understand our own selves and the meaning of our own lives as if we ourselves existed within a story. Mm-hmm. And and for most of us, you know, we can discern a sort of plot. You know, for most of us, we're the main characters, but we, you know, we have our our, our supporting cast, so to speak, and and it seems like there's forces you know, that are out of our control with which we are contending and, and we can see things that move in a, in a, in a general sort of direction. And we see our life unfolding as if it, it itself were a story. And, and, and that's important because from stories, we draw meaning. And I think those times in our lives, whenever we feel most comfortable with ourselves and we feel um, most satisfied is, is when we can clearly discern the story of our life and its meaning and its purpose. And that 
those times when we feel most alien to ourselves and to those who are around us and to God and to society at large is when we can't discern the story and it all seems like chaos and as if there's no meaning and there's no purpose. And so I think that the value that stories have to play, whether it's, whether it's, it's something that your family shares or, um, or it's in a movie or through a good book or, you know, a short story, all the different ways in which we can enter into stories is that it helps us to, um, it helps us to enter into the experience of others so that our own horizons and our own uh, experience of our own lives can be enriched as well. And so, you know, um, you know, we tend to think of, of, uh, you know, as Aristotle said, humans are irrational animals mm-hmm. and that's true. But before anything else, I think we're, we're storytelling animals and we're imaginative creatures and these things, um, have much greater impacts upon our own self-understanding than, than, than abstract reasoning. And I, I'm not sure if we recognize that clearly all the time. I don't think so. I think we do, uh, I mean, maybe we do. We we do have a, a, a value of the arts um, to some degree. We can see the way we exalt actors or entertainers or musicians, or even athletes, I would say, to some degree in terms of like that as, as an artistic form, in, in my opinion. But but we do tend to, when we talk about STEM, you know, STEM programs, it, it goes back to education being more focused in on, on, on the heart, on the sciences, on technology, on education, on the mechanical stuff. And almost at the expense of 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 the artistic, um, of the imaginative, of being able to get into that space where we feel like we are uh, connected. Um, because I know in my own life, I can speak. You know, like you said so beautifully, like we all kind of imagine or imagine life as a story. And what you said was was great. It was like when when you don't feel like the story makes sense or something to this effect. That's that's when you feel the most chaos in your life and the most uncertainty. And, and I know for me, like I go, there are certain movies that I will go back to repeatedly often, you know, in certain moments when I feel like I'm lost or I feel like I need some encouragement. Um, I'm a big, I'm a big movie guy and I know other people love books more or love short stories or love TV shows. Um, but for me, just for whatever reason, movies is what has always kind of captured my imagination in terms of this power of storytelling. And, and I, there are certain movies that I, that I go back to repeatedly because I do find that encouragement in that there's there's the, the resonance, there's the connection that you feel with the characters. Like a good story is told in a way that it's almost universal. And, um, and it, this, is, this is going back to, again, right now I'm a, I'm a big fan of Jordan Peterson and I've been digesting a lot of his information. So I know even some of the stuff I'm, I'm thinking about kind of comes from, from him. But he speaks a lot as, as, a, as a Jungian psychologist. Um, he puts a lot of emphasis on, on myth and on the meanings of myths that, that connect us and, and archetypes playing out in certain stories. And the reason that these archetypes play out is because they're that, they're archetypal. They're, th- that means that they're shared, there's connection, there's something about this character and the way that they're relating that is we can all identify with, that we can all connect with. And we have to, we have, to have that in our lives. We have to have a sense of story, a sense of meaning in our lives to be able to make sense of the various difficulties that, that we do encounter. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think that's, that's exactly right. And I think that that touches upon the importance of the imagination and the role that the imagination plays, um, not only in our leisure time, whenever we, we have time to take up, you know, um, you know, books and, and movies and different things like that and TV shows, but, but also just how, you know, our imagination really is, in a, you know, in a certain sense, it's, it's kind of like the organizing principle of our human experience. Mm. And it's, it's in a certain sense, a, a lens through which we receive and in which we understand the world because it, it kind of forms our horizon. And so we typically use the word imagination um, when we think of really fanciful things like, well, could you imagine, you know, a horse with a spike coming out of its head? Oh, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Let's call that a unicorn, right? Right, right? Or could you imagine the, you know, a creature with the the you know the body of a horse, but the torso and you know of a man? Oh, that's you know, let's call that a centaur. So we can use our imagination in really fanciful ways, um, but imagination is actually uh, a much broader power than than that, than you know, <laughs> combining you know, um, you know, different. Um, 
different features. I just have to say right now, the only thing I'm thinking about is from Epcot. This probably dates me. What was the, the Imagine Dragon? What was his name? Did, did you ever go on Epcot as a kid? Did you ever do this? Oh yeah, but it, it's been a it's been what a was the purple bit. Fit, what yeah. was his name? I see the, the Wheel of Imagination or. See, so yeah, never mind. See, so yeah, I'm, I'm messing myself up right now, so that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it'll come to us as we stop thinking about it. It'll come to us. But our imagination, you know, the, I like the way that C.S. Lewis talks about imagination. Um, you know, he has this great line where he says, you know, reason is the natural organ of truth. Imagination is the organ of meaning. Mm. And I think that's exactly right. You know, we can use our reason, we use logic um, to to search out the deeper truths of things and to basically pick things apart and, and draw further conclusions from what we know with certainty or high degree of certitude. But imagination is really that by which we bring everything together. Mm-hmm. And it's more synthetic than analytic. And that's how, it, that's how we feel comfortable experiencing the world is by creating a sort of hole out of it. And being able to see the meaning embedded within the things within, you know, that we come into contact with. And so imagination is much more than, you know, unicorns and centaurs, but really it's our ability to perceive, to perceive, you know, meaning purpose in our everyday experience of life. And so that's why imagination comes into play, you know, not only when we when we watch something like Lord of the Rings or Chronicles of Narnia or Star Wars, but even when we, um, when we watch something really ordinary, like the office, <laughs> because that shapes our imagination in order to experience the world a certain way and to find meaning and truth and, and beauty in the, in the very ordinary experiences of something like an office setting. That's right. And, and being able to find our place in whatever setting that we find ourselves in. And, and so the, going into like the concept of ideas and abstract thinking and allowing yourself space to have some leisure, to allow your imagination to, to be active to some degree um, is, is great because then you follow through with those ideas. So I see the boys right now um, during quarantine, there's obviously been a lot of time and I've seen there, they've been so much more creative about the space and the use of the space in the house um, because they haven't been able to get away from each other. So they have to create these little nooks and crannies. They're creating um, like forts in the garage or they want to make a tent outside or just the way that they're thinking about the space and then what they do in that space to bring their toys into it. They create Legos, they build things. All of that is coming out of their imagination. It's coming out of that sense of, well, how do I, how do I organize this? Or how do I, how do I take these ideas that I have in my mind and, and create something out of them? Um, it's really beautiful to see as a kid. And I think to some degree, we, Maybe sometimes we feel like we lose that as an adult because we get stuck into the pragmatisms of, of life and the right. challenges of life, the real challenges of life with regards to the responsibilities of paying bills and, and all of these things that sometimes we forget that the ideas and wonder and imagination and, and seeking some of these things is equally part of our human experience. And I can say for myself, honestly, like, I mean, I've talked about this on the show before, but like this show in particular, this, this very podcast has been a lifesaver for me in my life because I came out of a situation where I was de- really in, in a state of burnout and um, and just in a, just in a not good place uh, health wise mental mental health wise that it was like well what am I going to how do how do how do I help make sense of this I was like well I need to I need to have questions I, I have questions I need to ask people and and, and I want to be able to better understand the virtue of hope and and so like from that said well I've had this idea of doing this podcast probably. This podcast I launched in October 2018. I probably had the idea for it like summer of 2014 or something, I think is when it first came into my my imagination, my thoughts. But it took four years for me to like honestly work up the courage and to say, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna now's the time, let's go. And so yeah. it kind of coincided, like then the fact that it's like, all right, I've had this idea, but now I have these questions. Let's bring this together and let's keep going. You know, it's it's all it, it starts. The idea for this starts in your imagination and being able to, to listen to that and to, um, and to be almost responsible to it to some degree, to follow it through, to actualize then the ideas that, that, that come before you. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. And, and I, I think what you're touching upon is that through our imagination, we come to perceive and to understand not only what's actual, but what's possible. 
right? And isn't isn't the idea of possibility, mm-hmm. right? What can be, but what is not. I mean, that shoots through our everyday experience of life. And really, it's what keeps us going, you know, um, especially in those moments when we feel like we're overwhelmed we, um, with, with what's set before us. We're overwhelmed with what's being asked of us in terms of the, you know, especially right now in terms of in terms of the quarantine and then the spike in cases and everything like that. But through our imagination, we're capable of not only of, of, of looking upon the life that that's set before us right now and thinking about what's, what's genuinely possible. Um, you know, not only in terms of what I can create, but also in terms of how I can, like what this thing could mean for me, how I could experience this thing, what this thing could be for others. But really it's from what we understand to be possible that comes all of our actions and how we plan and how we, how we, um, move forward with our life. And, um, and, and, and that base, you know, that sets the, the sort of agenda for the whole, you know, that's, it's, it's the horizon in which we approach our life and, and society and God. And depending on how that's shaped, that in a certain sense delimits how we act and, and what we're going to, to do with our life, what's going to get us out of bed in the morning and, and how we're going to spend our time. So how do we cultivate uh, an imagination? How do we, how do we have a well-formed imagination if we can say it that way? Well, I think that this is where the value of, um, of, of stories and of narratives come into play, mm-hmm. especially stories that are a bit out of the ordinary, <laughs> because I don't know about you, but, um, the more that I become familiar with something, the more, um, the more flat it seems, right. The more ordinary it becomes. Give me an example. What do you mean? <laughs> well, just think about, um, you know, think about like my everyday experience of life, right? Yeah. I get out of bed. I have the same beautiful wife who I love and adore, same beautiful daughter. I go to the same job, right? I have basically the same sets of tasks that are before me, right? Familiarity breeds lack of gratitude in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Sure. Um, and a lot of times, and, and I think that that's just part of our, because you take things for granted, it's easy to take things for granted. And it's easy to feel that you have it figured out, that you have it in its box, which forget that, which then, like you said, familiarity, you forget then the beauty and the wonder of the simple things that you even spoke about. Um, so sorry to interrupt you, but, but keep going. Yeah. No, I think that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And ultimately it comes down to just a, a lack of gratitude, like mm-hmm. that's it. Yep. A, a lack of being Thanksgiving. And I think that starts with, with my, my lack of gratitude towards the Lord, towards God. And, and the great gift that everything is, you know, and, and anyway, so, you know, it's really easy to become familiar with things and then, and then for things to lose their flair. And then, you know, you kind of, you, you know, I I lose my ability to appreciate them. Um, which in reality, if I understood things correctly, that not only is my life a complete gift that I, I really need not exist. I do exist, but, but I could have not existed and the world would have gotten on completely fine without me. Correct. Um, and the same thing goes with, with my wife, with our daughter, you know, with every, every aspect of my life, it need not be. And yet it is. Mm -hmm. And then I can look at the universe as a whole and to say, well, why does anything, why does something exist rather than nothing? Right. And when, when I pose a question like that, and this is something that, 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 that Joseph Pieper, um, the, great, the great German Thomist philosopher, um, articulates really well. To pose really philosophical or um, existential questions like that, it's capable of bringing us out of that very pragmatic experience of life where I interact with things only to the extent that I can use them. But to raise the question of like, well, why, why, why at all, right? That Mm -hmm. very question of why, that very existential question, it's capable of turning the ordinary into the extraordinary. And so I think that sometimes I need to be pulled out of my own experience and I need to have my own experience represented to me in a new way in order for me to enter back into, you know, the ordinary movements of my own life and to look at them as as they really ought to be, which is, which is, they're extraordinary. 
right? And the extraordinary should, should call forth a sense of gratitude. And so I think that that is one of the great values that that science fiction and that fantasy literature and that fairy tales are capable of in, uh, providing to each and every one of us. You know, when 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 Star Wars, when each when each episode begins, you know, um, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, it's almost like giving us permission. It's it's giving us um, it, yeah, it's giving us permission to basically step outside of my own experience of life. And to allow my imagination and my, in, you know, in, in, in myself to kind of get caught up in this other story. And this other story is filled with all of these things that my life isn't filled with, right? Like spaceships and right. lasers and lightsabers and the force and all of these different things. But fundamentally, Star Wars is a story about you and I. Mm -hmm. It's a story about families. It's a story about friends, the struggle between good and evil. And that is extremely ordinary when you really think about it, because it's something that's familiar and present in each and every one of us. But it was this, it's the fantasy, it's, it's the science fiction, it's those things which are out of the ordinary, which in a sense gives me permission to forget about myself so that I can enter into the experience of another, enter into another story, so that when the movie ends, I can come back to myself and and experience my own ordinary life in a, in a new and different way. It helps yeah. me penetrate more deeply to the meaning that's already there. But because of how old I've grown and how familiar I've become with everything, I've lost my ability to appreciate it and to see beyond it, to see it within the light, in the correct horizon that, that, that really it, it deserves. Yeah, so the temptation is always to that we fall into a lack of gratitude or, or a pragmatism, that things only exist for their utility. And, and, and to see, to objectify creation, to objectify my wife, my kids, my own experience, my own life, as only being able to, to say that uh, only to what we produce or to what feeling emerges or to what good I can kind of tangibly, concretely see that it comes out of this. It, and so what you're saying, if I'm hearing you right, is that like, when we fall in lack of gratitude, when we fall into a mere pragmatism, it closes the horizons. It, it makes life smaller. It, it, it reduces our humanity to, to something more finite at the expense of that eternal mystery that exists inside all of us. And then the beauty of these stories, the beauty of having this imagination, this well-formed imagination, is to be able to remind ourselves that we can see these stories playing out. We can connect with them. And then we can assimilate that back into our own experience um, and, and to help us to be able to, to shift in the way that we see our day-to-day -day lives so that we don't get bogged down in just the suffering and the difficulties that are present to us or in just in the mere pragmatism that, that tends to, particularly in our day and age, tends to, to, to override everything. Is, is that what yep. you're saying, Jordan? Yep, that's exactly right. Because each of us, whether we realize it or not, um, going back to what we were saying at the very beginning, we think of our lives as taking place within a certain story and, and not just any story, but we believe, or at least we live as if we believe that truth exists, that beauty exists, that goodness exists, that there is in fact some meaning and some purpose to this whole thing. And we live our lives based upon um, certain absolutes, right? And, and, and the difficulty becomes is that when these things break down, it can make it extremely difficult to make sense of our ordinary experience of life and then to lose, to lose our sense of purpose in, 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 in our own life. And then, you know, and then, and then we can quickly spiral out of control from there. But for the vast majority of us, you know, whether we're religious or not, we place something at the center of our life because we think that if we can organize our life around it, it's going to give us happiness. We're going to experience some sense of love and we're going to be, we're going to have fulfillment. And, and, and at the end of the day, that's what religion is. You know, it's organizing your life around some transcendent principle. But when we exchange that which ought to be worshipped, namely God, um, for a lesser good, which is incapable of bearing the weight of my own life and the life of our society, right? 
Well, then that quickly breaks down. Our story breaks down, right? Our imagination becomes corrupted through a false narrative. Let's bring this back in. Let's bring this down a little bit. All right. So we're talking about the, the importance of story and the importance of imagination, the importance of connecting and, and how it opens us up to, to, to God uh, and to, to, the, to the eternal, to meaning in life, which is, which is beautiful. So, so we'll, we'll talk in a second of, of how specifically it kind of connects to God. But what I'm thinking about right now is really just speaking about like the importance then of, of surrounding ourselves with good stories, because there's a lot of imagination, imaginative stories that are out there that aren't necessarily, you know, healthy for us, that don't cultivate that wonder, that don't bring us to that deeper connection that you're speaking about. Um, for me personally, I'll, and I'll just say this, I, I find very little redemptive value in horror movies. I, I, like I, like uh, the saw when those movies started coming out, I was like, what, like, what is for me? I don't, I'm not that jaded. I don't, I don't know what's entertaining about watching a guy cut somebody up and be like, Oh, pass the popcorn. Like, I just can't wait to eat this <laughs> thing up. That's going to lift me up and make me feel like a better human being. You know, like there is it, there is it, there, is, there are certain stories that are, that are available to us in our day and age because it, it, the industry is so, so vast that you could pick and choose what you want. Similarly with something like pornography. I mean, we. This is one of the. This is one of the other dangers of porn. It isn't just the, the addictive, of course, and the, the the sex, of course, the objectification of the individuals. Yes, but just the fact that these images and these quote unquote stories, if we can use this language, get trapped into us that make us then think that this is the organizing principle of the world. And so yeah. we have to be careful about the narratives that we that we um, engage with. Because right. those narratives will shape our conscience in a certain way and right. they will, they will organize us. And that's not to say like that everything needs to be Pollyanna or clean. No, no, no. Something like the Bible, for example. Okay. Of course, the, the story of all stories, you know, here we go. Like the Bible is, it's scandalous when you read it. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing clean cut about it. There's no Pollyanna version of reality in scripture. I mean, it's, it's tough. It's real. There's, there's every sin under the sun happens inside of it, but it's all within a large, within the context of as Christians, we obviously see where the story goes, that it ends all the old Testament points right to Jesus in his, in his passion and his death and his cross. So right. I'm not saying that story needs to be clean cut all the time, but I am saying that the stories need to be able to communicate uh, beauty. I mean, hope, like the connection to, 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 to the greater things and, and not just succumbing to our uh, base desires or cultivating or encouraging violence or any of those things. Because I find that, that those stories don't uplift us. Those stories don't connect us. Those stories uh, shape us in a way that I think is actually worse for, for our, our, our well-being than, than anything else. Yeah, and I think, I think that's exactly right. And I think that's one of the great values and benefits of our uniquely Catholic imagination with our with well, in in the way that this kind of ties back to this this idea of the Catholic imagination is that you know we're not we're not Puritans we're not purists in the sense that um, we try to we, we try to escape the um, escape our bodies or or we act as if the um, act as if our tendencies towards sin is is something alien to our own you know, very real lived experience, right? Rather, it's, it's, it's in, at least in this life, right? It's, it's part and parcel of, of, of who and what we are. And, and, we, and, we, and we recognize that, that our own lived experience is significant to God because Christ became incarnate and he assumed a human nature, right? And he was like us in every way except our sin, Right. But that's sort of both and in the Catholic imagination, nature and grace, faith and reason. Right. Um, the natural and the supernatural. Right. That's exactly the type of um, transcendent experience that is healthy for our imagination. Right. It stands in direct contrast to the, the sort of pragmatic approach that you were describing earlier. Right, which ultimately falls and it fails in upon us. Or, or deeply cynical approach, itself. I'll say also. Yeah, a deeply yeah. cynical approach. Right. And because, because at the end of the day, 
we can tell ourselves the lie as much as we want that we are creatures like any other creature. We're just more clever, right? We're just clever apes. Mm-hmm. We can tell ourselves that lie all we want. But at the end of the day, all of us have a restless desire for truth, for goodness, for beauty. And when we fail to attain those things, or if we fail to even think that they're, they're attainable, right? Well, that is precisely when we are no longer capable of, of perceiving meaning and purpose in our own lives. And then it leads to a whole range of different issues, right? And so in that way, we see very tangibly that, that the way in which our imaginations are formed have immediate direct consequences and implications for how we live our everyday, our, our everyday life, how we experience our ordinary life which doesn't have to remain ordinary, right? Because it's capable of becoming extraordinary. Hey everybody, this is Dr. Marcikas. I'm taking a quick break from my conversation with Jordan Haddad to encourage you to find me on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Mario I have some great posts there waiting for you. And more than anything else, I really enjoy social media as a ministry and being able to talk and to share and to engage with my listeners. So God bless everybody. Check me out on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Mario Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, so good stories communicate this. This is why, I mean, most cultures have their folks, their folklore, they have their, their stories that they communicate again, whether they're Christian or not. I mean, we as Christians obviously believe in the, those deeper metaphysical truths that you spoke about, but, but not everybody agrees with that. But nevertheless, like you still see this, this common, this common humanities, these commonalities that play out in these various stories that are meant to, as you said, be organizing principles for our lives in terms of being able to see what our place in the larger story is, our place in the larger creation, our place in the larger universe. But then the second piece is that there's also stories are also used to convey morality and to convey teaching and to yeah. be able to communicate very clearly that there are ramifications for certain decisions. So we could see this in the good and in the bad, all right, where it can get into propaganda. We'll talk about that in a second. But one story I want to highlight for, for the purposes right now with regards to both our place in the larger aspect of life, but then also connection to morality. We've been rewatching, thanks to Disney Plus, we've been able to rewatch a, a lot of these older movies. And, and it's been awesome. I, I love reconnecting with some of these stories. And, and a conversation of, of the timelessness of Disney is, is a whole other podcast on its own. But, but one, ep, one movie that I do want to highlight for the sake of our conversation right now is Pinocchio. We, re, we rewatched Pinocchio a, a couple of weeks ago with the boys. When was the last time you saw Pinocchio? Can I just ask that? It, it, it's been a while. Been a while. Okay. So for, for, <laughs> for, probably for most people listening to the show, it's probably, it's probably been a while. Well, after today, Pinocchio, you know, is going to get a bunch of downloads on Disney Plus because like, I think it's brilliant. Honestly, I think it's, it's rewatching it now as an adult. I probably haven't watched it in 20 years or since I was like a teenager or something. I mean, it's really, but watching it as an adult, going through the things I've gone through in my life now, I see the movie differently and the movie's brilliant. I'm just going to say that right now. The movie ultimately is about this old man who has given his life in virtue and charity to others that the angel, well, she's a fairy, but we'll just say for the purposes now, this angelic creature comes down and wants to reward him with his one wish. His one wish, the one desire that he's had his entire life is to have his own, his own child. Hasn't happened. He serves others. He gives others. But the one thing that he's wanted, he hasn't been able to have. So here, now that he's older, mercy comes, gives him the gift, gives him the child. But Pinocchio, of course, isn't fully human right out of the gates. Pinocchio is this kind of in-between doll life character. You don't quite know quasi-human state that, that speaks to really kind of the, 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 the naivete of, of childhood, the innocence that's there, not quite knowing your place in the world or whatever. And so Pinocchio comes, blesses this, this, this blesses Geppetto, and then and then, you know, he does what every boy needs to do. He needs to go to school. So it's not like you're just going to be all fun and games. Like you got to, if you're going to be a boy, this is what it means. You got to go to school, right? So he goes to school and immediately the tempter is there, the fox, waiting for him to take advantage of him. And in his naivete, he's taking advantage. And what's the temptation that's offered to Pinocchio right out of the gates? Fame, fortune, uh, celebrity, uh, uh, 
you know, uh, vanity, all those things. You will be the greatest star the world has ever seen. And so I'm going to sell you to Strombetto, I think his name is Strombello, excuse me, the, the, the puppeteer, which then you find out that Pinocchio is, of course, uh, put into prison and that this guy only wants the worst from him. Story goes on. He's able to get out by, by virtue of, 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 the, uh, um, of the fairy coming and rescuing him. He gets out, and then you think that's the worst thing that's going to happen, Pinocchio. That's not the worst thing that's about to happen. The story keeps going. The fox is there waiting for him again, right? Right after he gets like hurt and been deceived and, and been abused, basically, and kidnapped. There's the tempter yet again waiting for him. And so he does. So then he then what does he do? He tempts him not just with vanity. And you can almost see it like it's like the the threefold lust. You know, it's the pride of the the, the, the lust of the eyes, lust of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and then the pride of life. You can kind of see this is what happens here. So so then so then he gets sold to Pleasure Island and and that guy who's I mean, it's horrifying. When you watch like that video of like the boy who's like a donkey and the donkey's like talking in a boy's voice, I mean, it's like it's creepy. I don't know what to say. It's 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 <laughs> It's even as an adult, I'm like, there's something off about that. And the guy's like, send him back, you know, make him more of a donkey, you know, because that's what we need. Because we want to, because we want to use these kids then for what? Our own selfish gain. So Pinocchio, of course, has, has embellished. He's been drinking. He's been smoking. The only reason they don't show girls, obviously, because it's a G rated movie, but you can, you can presume that it's all happening, you know, on, on this island with all these naughty boys. <laughs> this is not the Pinocchio that I remember. This is Pinocchio, man. I'm telling you, watch it now. This isn't, in, in like the context. this isn't like a remastered version. No, of- no, this is, you go watch Pinocchio. I'm telling you, he's right there. And Jiminy Cricket, his conscience is there the whole time trying to, trying to tell him right from wrong. So Pinocchio then, right, he, he, he succumbs and finally he's able to get, as soon as he realizes that he's about to turn into a donkey, he gets out as fast as possible and he goes, swims back to shore with Jiminy Cricket and he runs to his dad. But then now, see, this is, this is the issue. See, you think up to this point that Pinocchio's sins have only affected him. But now we see that his selfishness and his sinfulness has influenced and impacted the people that he loves the most. Because where's his dad? His dad isn't there anymore. His dad went looking for him. And the note says that his dad is where? In the belly of the whale, in Monstro. It, because of his sinfulness, his dad went looking for him, and now his dad's the one who has to pay the price for it. Huh. This is, I mean, <laughs> this is it, man. It's, I'm telling you, I'm, my mind's been blown up. I'm, I'm so grateful to have somebody to talk to about this because I haven't stopped thinking about Pinocchio since I watched it. And so now he has a decision to make. Does he, and, Jim, and even his conscience is telling him, don't go, don't go. There's no reason for you to go. Your dad's dead, basically. He's in the whale. There's no hope for him. Don't go. That's, that's his own conscience is telling him that. And Pinocchio fights against that and says, no, now's the time that I'm actually going to prove my, my life, basically, and, and prove myself to be a real person. I'm going to display bravery. The three things that she tells him he has to do. He has to display bravery, selfishness, selflessness, excuse me, obviously not selfishness, selflessness, and I think <laughs> charity or whatever the third thing is. So he goes and finally does that. He goes, meets his dad. In the whale, rescues his dad, but it costs him life. Pinocchio dies in the movie. Pinocchio dies in the movie rescuing his dad. He's washed up and short. It's so subtle. As you watch it as an adult now, you see it. You're like, oh, he's dead. He died. That's what happened. He died. And then he's reborn into, into the boy because he finally took his life. And, and instead of succumbing to just the temptations of the devil, the fox, or succumbing to his own pleasures, whether it's vanity of celebrity or, or drinking and gallivanting, he finally organizes, as we've been talking about, the story of his life to give it in a way that is greater than himself. And he needs to go rescue his dad. And it costs him his life. But in the end, that's, what, that's, that's the means that he becomes the, the true boy, the real boy. That's Pinocchio. That's fascinating. <laughs> and that is compelling. Isn't it compelling? It's brilliant. So you see this in the, so it's in the context of what we've been talking about. You see that this, is an, this, this story is timeless for a reason. Because here we see this boy. We all connect with that. We all know that we've been tempted. We all know that we've gone into bad situations. And then as soon as we come out of bad situations that we think that we're good, we have fallen into worse situations. I mean, it happens to all of us. You know, it's like out of the frying pan into the fire, into the fire. Sometimes my life has been out of the frying pan into the fire, out of the fire into the oven, out of the <laughs> oven into the, the the dirty floor or whatever. You know, it's like, when is it going to stop? You know, like, it's like, like we all connect with, with that aspect of, of Pinocchio's life. But then the morality of it as well is, is a central part of the story because now we're teaching kids the value of not just succumbing to their base desires, 
that the only way you become a real person, the only way that your life has any meaning to it is by giving yourself to some selfless act to rescue and to love other people. That's a message I want my kids to know. That's freaking Pinocchio. That is freaking Pinocchio. <laughs> and that the, the decisions, um, both good and bad of Pinocchio, actually had very real, tangible effects upon those who were closest to him. That's right. Right? And that, 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 his, that his actions, and, and particularly his sins, were social right? And that they're not merely confined to his own individual self, no. but that there's a web of exi- existence that's woven between us and those who are closest to us. Yes, And that our dehumanization of ourself, because ultimately that's what sin does, is yep. that dehumanizes It turns us. into a, a jackass. That's what he turns into. And that's the word that they use. I've, I've been saying donkey to be polite, but the whole movie, there's a bunch of jackasses. That's what they turn into. Literally, <laughs> that's, and that's, that's literally what happens when you go to Pleasure Island is you turn into a jackass. I mean, like it dehumanizes us to your point. Exactly. It's, it's, it's as clear as day in the narrative of, of Pinocchio. Exactly. And it's, but it's, you see, it's images like that, Mm -hmm. that are capable of actually speaking more clearly to us than, than if we were to simply say like, well, when one chooses that which was not fulfilling of human nature, one becomes less human. And, you know, and so like, yeah, that's a true statement. Right. right? But to see the, you know, the image of a, of a little boy turning into a, into a donkey, right. Or, um, or, you know, any number of other images that you find in other stories where whenever someone acts in such a way that's, that, that is not in accordance with their own human dignity and their own human nature, right? They actually be, they start to look more animalistic. Like, mm. like think of Lord Voldemort, yes, right? That's Harry right. Potter. He yep. looks more snake-like, right? Right. Um, and that, that sort of physical manifestation is, is a, um, it, it, it speaks to the inter, internal interior reality. And that's the, that's the thing about images, right? Images and symbols are capable of actually speaking to truth to us more clearly and more convincingly, right? Than simple abstract reasoning like you would do in philosophy or theology or something like that, right? right? And they each have their place, but we are just such, we are such imaginative creatures, right? That, and, and we use metaphors and, 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 and symbols and, and, and all of these things are, you know, the web in which we sort of weave our existence that's capable of speaking, it's capable of speaking the truth in a more profound, a deeper way than, you know, as you know, a short essay on, um, on the, the, the value and, and, uh, and, and pains of living a, uh, you know, a vicious life or something mm-hmm. like that. Right. It, it, exactly. Exactly. And and that's why, again, going back to like the notion of archetypes or myth, that you see certain patterns kind of emerge in, in all these great stories. But this is why we also, again, going back to what I said earlier about being cautious about which stories we we interject into our imagination. One, f- from the perspective we, we've initially spoke about, about the the metaphysical truth that the story communicates. Like we want stories that open us up to the broader horizons, not stories that reduce us to cynicism or pragmatism. We have to be cautious of that. Equally with the morality question that we've been speaking about with Pinocchio, we also need to be cautious about what is the moral teaching being communicated in, in certain stories. Because there are, because precisely because we know that we're susceptible to, to stories influencing us in the decisions that we make, this is a large reason why a number of these stories, I think recently, honestly, are just, are, I hate to say it, but are just propaganda, you know, against tradition, against uh, depth of human relationships, um, against kind of the natural order of things. So one example that, that I'll propose, and um, again, I've watched a lot of movies, so I, I'm not sure if you've seen all of these here. Another kid's movie, we'll keep it, I, I, can, I can give a couple examples here, but, but a kid's movie, for example, um, that, that really two kids movies recently that, that really got me going that I had to have a real honest conversation with the kids about was Incredibles two. And then also Wreck-It Ralph two. Um, both of these were sequels to movies that I actually really liked the first ones. Um, have you seen, have you seen these yet? I've seen Incredibles two, but I haven't seen Wreck-It Ralph two. Okay. No. So then we'll focus on Incredibles two then for, for, for the sake of it. Although I think it's worse in, in Wreck-It Ralph two, but, but Incredibles two is, it's, 
It's really, honestly, I mean, it, it's stark contrast to the first one. The first one I absolutely love, but this yeah. one exalts, um, what, what's, what the, it, 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 it exalts a feminist ideology and the concerns with feminism isn't that women and men aren't equal. It's not that at all, but it's almost that, that it exalts this ideology that we don't need each other to save each other, that we that that's where the narrative has always been. The reason that Sleeping Beauty needs Prince Charming isn't because she's weak as a woman, but it's because the masculine has to come to set the feminine free, but the feminine beauty is what compels the masculine to do that. Or even Beauty and the Beast, where we can reverse the narrative and say it's her beauty that saves his, his gruffness. I mean, this is, this is a, a, a narrative that is as old as time that we need each other to be able to save one another. And this is one of the, the criticisms that's happening of late, that where you say then that women... Because it's a because precisely because it's a reaction to some of the old um, uh, uh, oppressive natures of women, we've now been able to we have to exalt the story that women don't need men to save them. This is the concern with Frozen. Frozen, I think, takes the deeply cynical approach towards romance, in my estimation, and it and it flies in the face of the ancient stories, and it says that we can save each other. We don't need anybody else. We can take care of ourselves. That 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 teaching that statement both from a, as a guiding principle from life, but then even in terms of decision-making that you're going to make in terms of a moral reasoning is dangerous in my estimation, is dangerous. Because while Frozen certainly at the end, she sacrifices herself, it does it in a way that's just, it's just different, you know? And you can see the, 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 the kind of the feminist uh, propaganda that's happening there. Similar with Incredibles 2. Incredibles 2 deliberately shows the ways that Mrs. Incredible is better than Mr. Incredible throughout the whole movie, point by point. What starts the whole thing? The train sequence at the beginning of Incredibles 1. What does she do? To What's the first way that she goes out to, to start saving the, the, the image of superheroes? You know, uh, through, through, through another saving of the train. But how does she do it? She does it with grace and she doesn't destroy the world. She doesn't destroy everything. She does it in a way that's, that's more feminine and, and is more docile. And even in terms of the conversation that they have at the beginning of the movie about who, who should be the, the, the hero that, that we exalt? Well, they say the, the woman, because honestly, the masculine is just, it's too violent is basically what they say. It's too violent, you know, and uh, it's out of control. And so we need to keep you home and we're going to, we're going to let her have, have, have the, uh, the, the lead here. So these type of narratives that play out in movies, we as parents have to be very intentional with our kids about what stories we expose them to. I'm not saying don't watch Incredibles 2. All I'm going to say is pay attention to the story that's being communicated so that you can have an honest conversation with your kids about it. Precisely because I know because of everything we've been talking about that like these stories communicate something to my kids and it's going to form their imagination in a way and guide and organize principles inside of them to be able to help their decisions. And I want them to be able to make decisions in life that are in conformity with truth, not with just propaganda. I want them to be able to live in a way that is, again, in conformity with the way that God created us, not just out of some ideologically ideologically driven narrative. That's my concern with sometimes with, with, with these stories. And we have to be careful about what we bring in and how we sift and engage with it and how we teach our kids to be able to do the same. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly right. And, and even at a really, like we have a three-year-old daughter mm -hmm. and, and even at this very young age, like we, um, I mean, she has so many questions and we limit the amount of screen time that she has, but, but she'll like to, to, she, she's been getting into watching more of the, the Disney princess movies and things yeah. like that. And, and we won't allow her to watch any of this by herself unless, you know, unless there's one of us that's with her so that the natural questions that she has about why, why are people acting the way that they're acting? Why are they doing that? Why are they, why is she speaking that way? I mean, all of these questions that she's already capable of perceiving and capable of, of, <clears throat> of, of, of trying to you know, she's trying to understand the story. She's trying to make intelligible sense out of it. And she looks up to these Disney princesses and she tries, you know, and she naturally will emulate them. Right. So we sit with her and, and as, as the story unfolds, most of the time she asks the question herself. And then we sit there and we, we explain, we, we explain what's going on and, and why this was either good or bad. Um, for example, uh, in, in the first Frozen movie, when, um, when when Anna and uh, and uh, Hans mm -hmm. right Hans is the prince right and and they meet each other and they immediately fall in love right right 
and she's and, and Lily's watching this, and we know that she's creating an impression of, well, this is what love is. It's something that happens very instantaneously, right? Um, there, there's no sort of friendship or depth that precedes it, but it's just something that happens. And we sit there and we explain to her, well, actually, Lily, um, y- you see, Anna isn't, they're not thinking about this the right way. Like mm-hmm. they, they should be trying to be friends with each other and getting to know one another, but they're trying, they're taking the, you know, their relationship too seriously. And then she understands that. And now she can filter the story in a way that's appropriate and healthy so that she's exposed to this way of, of acting and thinking. And yet she's capable of understanding it in a way that's more mature, even for a three-year-old. And then she's capable, you know, and then she takes these things with her. I mean, it's incredible yeah. what, what children are capable of understanding it, even at such a young age, you know, because she is looking for examples to emulate because that helps her understand both herself and the world around her. Right. You know, we emulate other people so that we ourselves feel like we have, we have a, a sort of control over our own lives. And that is the value that stories can provide to us. But it has to be the right stories that are communicating the right type of message or else we end up believing a false narrative, which then, if left unchecked, leads to further issues down the road, you know. Um, and and, and probably, I mean, I, I love the way that you describe that. Movies that are um, more intentionally focused on um, pushing a tr- an ideological truth rather than merely presenting common human experience, you know, that is propaganda more than it is art. That's right. You know? it's, yep. it's, it's more like a commercial than it is a genuine story because the, the object of a story or the object of a narrative is, is, is the truth of human experience, mm. right? It's the truth of reality as such. And it's a messy reality. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not only good. There's all you have to take the good and the bad together. You know, we can't live in these in these fairy tale worlds where where only good things happen. And we also can't raise our kids to think that that's the world around them because it's going to be a reality shock when they come to experience the world and they see that it's it's not all fairy tales and rainbows, but it's actually really messy and complicated. And so, but that's the value that good art, that good stories are capable of, of providing to us, but especially to kids, which is it's capable of putting them into contact with the real world, but in a way that allows them to correctly apprehend it, correctly perceive it, think through it, and then to navigate their own way through that experience, which they themselves will inevitably encounter at some point in their life. Hmm. And, th- and that's why we need to gradually expose our kids to to, to different stories uh, to the age that they're able, capable of kind of handling it. Like, so we have a 16, well, 15, Gabriel's going to be 16 here in the next week or so. Um, and we're allowing him to watch some of these kind of heavier stories. I think um, we've allowed him to watch now the, like the dark Knight trilogy. And we're watching some of the X-Men movie and some of these kind of darker narratives that again, I, I don't, I don't want him to directly come into contact with the sociopath, you know, like, or, 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 you know, I don't want him to have that direct experience of abuse or something, but to be aware that like, not everybody, you know, that you're going to encounter is, is, is going to be good. Uh, that complexity, uh, of opening your horizons to what reality is, uh, is, is part of my job as a parent before he leaves the nest. And if, and if we can use movies appropriately, at the appropriate age to be able to help them with that, then, you know, all, all the better. Yeah. Yep. No, and that's exactly right. And it actually, it flows really nicely into also just living our own Catholic faith and, and living the Christian experience, you know, because the re, you know, the, the Catholic approach to life is that, um, you know, there's a battle being waged between right. good and evil you know, and it's, and it's, and as, Ale- uh, I always, I can't say his last name, but Alexander Solzhenitsyn, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the Russian, you know, political prisoner, right. um, as he says, the line that separates good and evil runs, you know, it's not, it's not out there, right? It's not a line that separates nations, but it's one that, that runs through the, the center of every human heart, you know, and, and, and it's impossible to escape 
the the human predicament and 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 we can look at that and we could become really discouraged about it because man life seems like such a burden it seems so difficult right it's you know it requires my constant effort i always have to be vigilant but on the other hand um it's something that can unite us to one another because we can recognize and have empathy and sympathy with one another that that my experience really isn't all that different from your experience right and that, um, and that the thing that can actually draw us together is to share the common narrative that God is not God not only exists, but that God is love, and that um, and that God loves us so much that He became one of us, and so that gives me permission and it gives me the mandate to, in a certain sense, allow your life to become my life, right? And so it's it's these very basic fundamental ideas that can overflow into not only the art that we create, but our ability to understand the art that we receive. And, and, and that prepares us well to experience the world around us because part of the gospel message is that sin exists, right? But it's the good news because it's that sin doesn't have the final word, right? And, and that love conquers evil. And so the more that we can, surround ourselves and our families and our children with 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 good catholic stories and narratives which don't have to come from explicitly catholic areas and places right but that it conveys the truth of reality as such which is that um at the end of the day love is more real than death right that that good conquers evil and that each of us are given the mandate to participate in the drama of salvation, right? That God <clears throat> chooses not to save us without our own cooperation, without our own selves, right? It's a great call to arms. And that's capable of forming our horizons in such a way that we're actually prepared to go out into the world and for healing and reconciliation, which let's be honest in our country, I mean, that's always a, a, an imperative call, but in our country now more than ever, Right. People need to not only hear the words of truth, but they need to hear the right. They need to understand the right narrative and story in order to be able to move forward as, as a country, right. because justice without mercy. Right. Um, or sin without forgiveness. Right. <laughs> That's not a platform from which we can move forward. No, as, as a nation. No, it's not. Right. Of course, is, is <laughs> that where you're talking about, like how these stories represent our uh, our lives to ourselves. That doesn't mean then that we have to go and move to Africa to be a missionary to show heroism, or do we have to go do some great heroic deed in that nature? We could. It could be that God's calling you to sell everything you have and to go live with the poor, possibly. But before you get to that, do the work of discernment and to say then, after you watch these stories and you feel encouraged by, by virtue, but you feel a desire to want to live in the truth, that you want to be able to see beyond the mere pragmatism, the place that you have to start is, and this is going to bring the conversation full circle, is to start within your home, is to start within the context of the environment that you find yourselves in right now. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to go make wholesale changes. You may, that's discernment. But if you can begin with where you find yourself and to find the beauty then in your office environment and to then say, okay, so this guy, my neighbor or this coworker, this guy is really the one man. He's He's, he's the one who's kind of the villain in my story, you know, how do you, how, <laughs> maybe not the villain, maybe that's, it's too harsh, you know, but, but just this grass at six thirty in the morning. on a Saturday. <laughs> What's the matter with you, man? Come on. You know, like we're all trying to sleep, you know, exactly that type of thing where your reactions to this, how do you engage with that? How do you engage with the way that reality finds itself to you and to not fall into just a cynicism or not just cower away against it? But to truly be able to engage and to take all these narratives and to say, okay, this is how I'm going to make my life better. This is how I'm going to make the circumstances, the small space that God has planted me to try to bloom where I'm at, to try to make the greatest good possible in this little section of the garden that, that I have. Um, that's the whole point of everything that we've been speaking about. That's exactly right. And even being able to make that jump from experiencing our average, ordinary, everyday life as a garden that's meant to be tilled for the sake of the glory of God, right? 
Well, that allows us to just approach our everyday life in a completely different way, you know? And so in my mind, recapturing the importance and the formation of our imaginations is capable of, of, of almost creating a revolution of sorts, or it's, it's capable of, of taking, um, the, the ordinary lay vocation, which is the redemption of, of the secular of our ordinary life and our, and our shared life together as a society, it's capable of, of taking that same, that same, uh, that same experience, those, those same realities, but representing it to us in a completely different way so that we can then approach it in a completely different way. Mm. You know, um, <clears throat> as mother Teresa you know, used to say, for no one does work become prayer unless one stops work often to pray. And there's a real connection between prayer and the imagination. Because like, you know, like we were saying at the beginning, imagination isn't just about the fanciful, right? It's not just about unicorns and, and centaurs and, and laser beams and things like that. Rather, it's through our imagination that we're actually capable of experiencing reality as it's meant to be experienced because we see God in, through, behind it, right? Because yeah. that is the truth of things. Amen. And we can only get there with a properly formed imagination. So Jordan, it's been a, a sincere pleasure having you on the show. Um, how can people get a hold of you if you have any questions or following up or things that you've written on some of the blogs that you contribute to? How can people get, get more information? Sure. So my email is uh, jhadad, J-H-A-D-D-A-D at nds.edu. I'm a, I'm a professor of, of, of dogmatic theology at, at Notre Dame Seminary in New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, I've written a number of articles for the, the Church Life Journal. Um, which is a, a journal of the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame. Um, <clears throat> I've written some essays on Flannery O'Connor, who you know I, I, I find her short stories um, to be quite to be quite powerful, and and she does an excellent job of 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 speaking about the reality of grace and yet our fallen human nature in a really powerful way to us. Um, also, I've written some things on on the relationship between faith and science and. Mm-hmm. I think that that's definitely a part of this conversation as well, especially when we think about the way that as great as our, as our modern scientific achievements are, if we're not careful, they, it will very, very, um, very powerfully shape our understanding of the world in a very materialist, technocratic way. Um, so I've written some things for the Church Life Journal and have a couple other things in the works, um, which will be you know, coming out later this year. Awesome. Awesome, man. Good stuff. All right. Final question asked all my guests, Jordan, what gives you hope? Well, of course, Jesus Christ. Um, I would say that, that God himself, um, allows us to, to be true actors in this world and allows us the full scope and the, and the full range of human action, um, because he honors and he respects our freedoms. Um, it, in a weird way that, that, that gives me hope to know that God loves us, um, because he allows such terrible things to happen because, um, because if God ever stopped loving us, then, then we would cease to exist. And so even when things get bad and even when things seem chaotic and, and, and we think that, well, surely things can't get worse from here and yet they do, um, just the faith that that Jesus Christ nonetheless, nonetheless has, has triumphed on the cross and that he's risen from the dead and that he allows bad, sad, evil things to happen merely to, um, so that he can bring about a greater good and that we can, we can, we can, he can be glorified in a more profound way. Um, I would say that that's what gives me hope and, and, and the responses of, of, of really good people in the midst of all the chaos and of all the difficulties you know, that's the slow, silent work of grace that shows us that God is still present and he's still among us. And that at the end of the day, you know, the good will triumph over the evil. Amen. Thank you, ma'am. That's a great way to end today's episode. Well, God bless you. Uh, continue to do all the good work you're doing at Notre Dame Seminary. And uh, we hope to have you back on the show at some point. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Dr. Mario. You got it, man. Take care. Peace. Well, that does it. Another great episode is done. 
So thanks to Jordan Haddad for joining me on the show. And thank you for all the listeners for taking the time to, to listen and to engage in this conversation. One final thing that I want to say here at the end of this episode is that recently, Jason, Angela, and myself, we were gracious, grateful to receive a $10,000 grant from the Women's Giving Circle here in the Archdiocese of New Orleans. And we had specifically asked for this money to be able to work on a new initiative that we are starting at Faith and Marriage. And so I'm asking for your prayers as we are at the very, very, very beginning of this initiative that's going to uh, take a lot of my time and energy over the next few months. We are working on a, what do we call this? A, a dating masterclass, I guess. It's an online course uh, to be able to help couples navigate the various stages of dating. And so we have a lot of research that we need to work on and a lot of production ahead of us over the next few months. But hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we can get this thing launched uh, by Valentine's Day 2021. So I'm asking you, the listeners, please, to just offer some prayers and support for us as we begin this endeavor. We know that anything that we do for the Lord, we need it to be united in prayer. Um, and so we're asking, please, uh, to, to pray for us. Pray for me as I'm, I'm developing the lead on, on, on all this stuff. Um, but grateful to be able to, to share this with you to say that we have some really great, exciting things coming down the pike at Faith and Marriage. So God bless everybody. Have a great day and uh, we'll see you soon. Bye.